It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Hello and welcome, everybody. It's another installment of J.C. and Morgan, number 178, presented by Blue Delta Jeans and BlueDeltaJeans.com. We're back to a full boat here today. Myself, Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert, Michael Haney. We've got Atlanta, Chicago, and Nashville all covered uh, with uh, with this dais that we try to present to you each and every week. And looking forward to discussing a number of things. We'll try to cram it into uh, about, a, about an hour, maybe a little bit more than that here uh, this Tuesday as uh, that's when we're dropping it. Um, I, I got I got curious, guys. I, I find myself going down more rabbit holes than ever. Um, I don't know why I do this or how my brain gets there, but you know, uh, YouTube's like a dangerous thing for me because if I start watching something on YouTube, then I keep going, and before I know it, I've been on there for two hours, and it's, it's like, what just happened to my life? So I start thinking like this is number one hundred seventy eight of of our podcast. And I started thinking, well, 78, what's significant about 78? Well, nothing off the top of my head. And then I started thinking, well, what, what happened in 1978 in college football? So then I went down that rabbit hole. And uh, it just so happened that was the first season that we split into divisions. It's first year of 1AA football. You know, we didn't we didn't have that before. Uh, it was all just crammed into Division One. That's why you look at, at old uh, scores and you see, like, Number one, Nebraska taking on Pacific, and it's a true Division One game because there was no classification. So that was playing Pacific was the same as playing uh, Auburn. I mean, they're all in the same thing. So they they divided it in 1978. They 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 came up with one double A, and a lot of those Division Two teams went to played one double A, and you know, of course, we got the one double A playoff, which I'm always a, a a big fan of I've had the pleasure of, uh, of calling games in that uh, who won the title in 78 Alabama. If you guessed Alabama, which you probably could guess every other year. Yes, they won. But of course, back in our crazy wacky world of pre-playoff football, we had a split poll. Southern Cal won the UPI, which was the coaches poll. So Alabama and Southern Cal won the national title. And by the way, Alabama did lose a game to Southern Cal in Birmingham earlier that year. That's why we had the split poll. Penn State lost to Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, 14-7. Keith Jackson called it and said it was the greatest game he'd ever seen. If we had a 14-7 game today, gentlemen, do you think anybody would call it the greatest game they've ever seen? No. No. No, because we all expect offense, right? Like, we love good defense, but we we want to have. We, well, we we had a national title game with Alabama and LSU that was a classic defensive rock fight, and it was yeah. just panned as the worst thing to ever be in a title. People game. hated it, which yeah. is yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 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 it yeah, was, some SEC fans liked it, but and said that's real football. But for the most part, people were turned were turned off by that game. And everybody was Go talking ahead, about. You, do, you have a different. Oklahoma State was supposed to be the other team that made it that year, right? And uh, what, what people don't realize, if that Oklahoma State team had played LSU, LSU would have probably been sitting on like 35 at the half, and it still probably. would still have shut down their offense. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would have probably been like a uh, 
Nebraska, Florida, nineteen ninety five bloodletting. Um, yeah, and look, that Alabama dominated LSU, and there was not much offense for the. I mean, I think LSU beat them nine to six earlier that year, but you know, I, I do think that game sort of got the wheels turning uh, for a lot of coaches, Nick Saban included, to where hey, we can't just keep lining up in the eye and trying to run out muscle people and have a rock, like I said, a rock throwing contest uh, in that game. We can't play man ball uh, anymore. And if you notice, you know, two years after that, uh, you know, maybe three years after that is when Kiffin came in and they, they started working and the playoff era hit and Alabama's been pretty dynamic on offense since. And then uh, it took LSU eight years to get there, but, we all remember what happened in 2019. So I, I think that kind of spurred it. And unfortunately, those of us that love defense like me, <laughs> I was, I, and I was horrified during 2020 when nobody played defense. I was like, oh, my, you know, defense was back last year. That was brutal. But, but, man, you just start looking at it now, Mike and Michael, and it's look at the teams that are on their way up in the SEC and then look at the teams that struggle uh, – and there's a common thread. The teams that are on their most of them on the way up have nice, dynamic college style offenses that are creative. You got three of them out of the Art Bryles tree. And who's struggling? Auburn, which, you know, Boise State and Brian Harson, everybody thinks they run spread. They know they play their own version of man ball. It's like a West Coast offense out there. He tried to implement that, it was garbage. Uh, you know, until Ashford took over and can make things happen with his legs. And then Texas A&M, which unfortunately, you know, that's been the big complaint out there is Jimbo's offense just uh, is easier to stop than maybe it once was. So, um, and that's just the SEC. Maybe Arkansas should be in that discussion. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas. They can't outscore Liberty. Which I think we talked about, like, why, why do you schedule that game? What are you I, doing? It's whoever's just... in charge of scheduling at Arkansas definitely needs to be fired. I mean, you're in the SEC West. What gave you the bright an idea? Actor. That's what's going on there. They're yeah, like, yeah, ah, somebody, yeah, I'm going to sabotage this. Sabotage. We're going to schedule sabotage. They had Cincinnati at home, Boise State, and BYU on the road, Liberty at home, and Missouri State, coached by Robert Petrino at home. All tricky games, right? On the yeah. night, and what it is, I don't, I don't think that Arkansas is like, you know, I think KJ Jefferson getting hurt, gotten hurt, getting hurt through them off a little bit, and you know the schedule in conference is going to be relatively tough. Um, but, but I think it's just really hard for for teams to have to be up and at the top of their game every single week in college ball. I think you need those uh, get right games to get right. That's what they're called, mm-hmm. get right games. Arkansas did not have a single get-right game this year at all because, you know, when they're out of conference, they're going to freaking Provo uh, or they're opening with Cincinnati uh, or they're playing, you know, the giant killer Hugh Freeze and or, 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 or they they got their old coach who's a gifted wizard play caller coming in with an axe to grind, and they're not good on defense. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I think maybe cooler heads should prevail with future scheduling when it comes to the Hogs. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, by the way, one last thing that happened in 1978, Arizona and Arizona State went from the WAC to the Pac-10. And wow. Arizona State is one of those programs. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Uh, you would have thought that happened a lot sooner than that, but it was 78. Um, but in Arizona State, one of those programs, much like Auburn, much like Colorado, 
Um, still looking for a head coach as we speak. Lots to get to today. We'll start off with the Hot Haney Five as Michael is back after performing at the Bluebird in Nashville. We got a rock star. We got, we got a country music star, I guess, on our hands. He's not just our fearless producer, folks. Uh, he, he can strum the guitar. He can belt a tune. And he can also come up with the Hot Haney Five in his spare time. We'll get into that. SEC Spotlight, Under the Radar. Take a deep dive on uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate that I don't think is getting enough attention. And then we'll finish with the pick five. So uh, with that all said and all ready to go, Michael, I give the uh, center stage, which you're getting used to, uh, to you. Yeah, all right. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, being in four beers deep, sitting at the back of the Bluebird, just being there to support a friend. And uh, he decides to call you up. So, oh, yeah, that was a pretty awesome night. I appreciate you uh, mentioning that here. And uh, hopefully uh, going into early part of next year, anyone that's listening to this, and, uh, of course, you guys as my friends, will be able to pull up some songs on the old uh, trusty streaming services. That's uh, that's in the works. So, yeah, yeah, one of these days. It's uh, coming soon for that. But I appreciate the mention there, Mike. It was a pretty magical evening. but Super cool. Not quite as magical as coming up with the – Hot Haney Five, <laughs> which we will start right now. Uh, and, and speaking of, of magic, um, it looks like uh, Georgia figured out the sleight of hand that was Tennessee's offense. Kirby Smart was ready to cut some butt, and uh, and they certainly did so between the hedges in Georgia. Not even uh, not even a game really. Uh, the, the score was not nearly as close as the twenty-seven to thirteen final would be. Guys, uh, not going to spend time breaking down the exact specifics of what happened in that game because anybody that watched it could see what happened georgia was georgia uh so let me just ask you a very simple question based on this performance now um would you be surprised if anyone other than the georgia bulldogs were the national champion for 2022 mike we'll start with you no i wouldn't be surprised and and look i'm going to see georgia this week i've got georgia at mississippi state uh on radio and i and i thought you know the beginning of the year, this could be the ultimate trap game. And it still might be. I mean, if, if Mississippi State's issue with Georgia is going to be the same one it was with Alabama, which for whatever reason, they never play Alabama well. Well, part of the reason is they just can't block them. If they can block and give Will Rogers some time and turn that game into kind of a shootout, then who the heck knows? But no, look, Georgia is like last year, you lose five first-round draft picks from your defense, and they haven't missed a beat. Uh, and your offense is better. And here is Stetson Bennett. You know, if I told you Will Rogers of Mississippi State in that air raid offense led the SEC in passing yards, you'd say, yeah, I'm not surprised. If I told you number two in the Southeastern Conference with all these talented quarterbacks was Stetson Bennett, and I'll bet you 90% of the college football fan public can't name you a Georgia wide receiver. They know Bowers, the tight end. They couldn't tell you many of their wide receivers. Um, that would shock a lot of people. But Stetson Bennett just continues to do things, and it's so funny living here in Atlanta because I still run into Georgia fans that are ready to cut that kid up the moment they lose a game. It doesn't matter what what how the game transpires. They're going to blame it on Stetson Bennett because he doesn't fit central casting of what a premier program has at quarterback. He, his story doesn't fit as a former walk-on who bounced around. His size and, and stature doesn't fit. Don't tell me he's not athletic. I mean, you watch that touchdown run, 
Ask the Tennessee defense if they thought he was slow and unathletic because they didn't tackle him before he dove to the pylon and made a very athletic play. But there's a lot of people that still just do not want to believe Stetson Bennett is legit. And I'm here to tell you he's legit. And if they keep winning, to your question, Michael, he's going to be in all likelihood in New York as a Heisman Trophy finalist. Not saying he's going to win, but I can't imagine he wouldn't be there. Um, That being said, could Georgia lose a game? Sure. There's Ohio State. There's potentially Michigan. Uh, there's a potential rematch with Tennessee. You know, we'll talk about the playoffs situation. I love this Georgia team. I love everything that's been going on with this program. I mean, I've watched it kind of from a healthy distance, Atlanta, the Athens being built up under Kirby. Um, but they're not invincible. I wouldn't go that far. I, I, I think they could lose. I think they're the favorite, but I think, uh, certainly they've got some, some games the rest of the way, particularly in the postseason that could uh, pose some formidable challenges. Yeah. And Stetson Bennett, I mean, you can't say enough good about him. And, you know, here, here's the thing. It, it's just weird that the walk-on stigma is just strange. Um, and it goes to show you, it's, it's, an, it, that's about recruiting because, uh, you know, how many five-star quarterbacks did Mark Rick bring in there? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they couldn't get over the hump. And, and, and then, you know, you had Jake Fromm as a true freshman lead you to the national championship, but people weren't too happy with him. I think they wanted to see Fields. Fields leaves. He's now with the Bears. Uh, has a great couple seasons at Ohio State. Uh, and I think that's the fr- the frustration of Georgia fans, like that they haven't been able to get the position right. And when they have, they've underachieved. With Matt Stafford senior year, David Green senior year, uh, Aaron Murray, they they were shoot a play away from going to play for it and lost to Alabama. Uh, those are all five-star. Well, Green was a four, but Stafford and Murray were best in the country. Uh, and, and, I, and I think, you know, sometimes fans need to kind of wake up and understand that, you know, sometimes that's the – embrace the magic of this game. Uh, you know who else was a walk-on? Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know who else was a one scholarship guy out of junior college, had no scholarships out of uh, high school? Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, Josh Allen played at freaking Wyoming. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that position in particular, I mean, you didn't see Florida fans jump up and down and gripe and complain when Kyle Trask, who was a two-star who didn't even start for his high school team, takes over for Felipe Franks, who was a five, and proceeds to get in the Heisman conversation. So, um, I think sometimes fans, you know, and, and it's probably your vocal minority that it doesn't think about things, but, uh, boy, Stetson been through some beautiful passes. And, and I'll say this, uh, two coaches deserve credit for this. Todd Mock and their OC is in a zone right now. I, I see coordinators yeah. at time getting in a zone, uh, the Joe Brady, Steve Insminger combo, because later on we find out Insminger had a lot to do with that. Uh, <laughs> uh we gave Brady all the credit, Joe Brady. Uh, but uh, that he got bounced quickly from the Panthers Sark in 2020 and Bama was in a zone. Uh, And I think you could see it happening during the playoff in Athens last year with Monken and Todd Monken has been around for a long time. He called plays in the NFL. He was a head coach. I mean, used to come, comes from the Mike Gundy or Les miles. One of those two coaching the Oklahoma state coaching tree. Uh, And he's in the zone and Buster Faulkner, their quality control uh, analyst there in Athens, who used to be the OC at uh, Middle Tennessee State, uh, he helps kind of 
analyze the quarterbacks, break them down, get them better. My understanding is he has a big hand uh, in helping with Bennett and, and the rest of them. You know, so hats off for him because, you know, Stetson Bennett, Mike, was good enough to win a national championship last year. I think he's better this year. I no think question. he improved. I think he improved, and that's that's saying something. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys, did Jameis Winston improve after he won the national title? No. You know, a lot of these guys that win it all and they come back, they don't necessarily put in the work to get better, or they are just – or they've tapped out. Not Stetson Bennett the fourth. Not Stetson Bennett the fourth. So hats off to him. Yeah, and, and hats off to the the Georgia defense. They they pile up six sacks. I believe they had ten all year, um, which is not to say that their defense is taking a step back. It, it, if you if you break it break them down statistically, their their defense is still really really good. Uh, but for whatever reason, they didn't have a lot of sacks going in. They sack Hannon Hooker, who might have been the Heisman Trophy uh, leader at the time. They sack him six times. They have eight tackles for loss. Tennessee averaged two point two yards. Per rushing attempt, they were averaging uh, just under 200 yards rushing a game prior to the Georgia game. Every time Hooker dropped back to take a a, a look at somebody downfield, uh, Georgia was in his face. I mean, they they blitzed routinely. Georgia is not normally a defense that blitzes that much, but they saw something, and everybody was talking about coming in. Well, how do you? defend this rather unique Josh Heupel offense receivers split out outside the numbers and they forced you to do that. They just decided we're going to blitz him. And hooker hadn't had that much pressure in a game. And uh, unfortunately for Tennessee, I mean, he did not have a great game. He just didn't. Nobody for Tennessee did not all on hooker, but then scored 10 and hooker didn't get a touchdown. Um, that score is, as Haney mentioned, that's very misleading. That game was completely dominated by Georgia. And I'll just say one more thing on the subject. Man, oh, man, Vegas, you continue to amaze me. I, I, I can't believe when I first saw the line, it was like eight and a half, nine points. And I'm like, come on now. I mean, again, it's Georgia's favorite at home. But how do you take a team that just got voted number one that's, that hasn't uh, been anything short of spectacular and make them that big of an underdog? Well, guess what? You covered easily. If, if you took ten, if you took Georgia and laid the points, you didn't even have to sweat it. Um, that's why they have very nice buildings in Las Vegas, and they continue to get bigger and nicer and bigger. So I, that one I didn't see coming in terms of the the domination. I th- I thought Georgia would win the game. I did not expect that level of domination on both sides of the ball. Tennessee got completely dismantled. I still think they, they get in the playoff but they they got humbled big time on Saturday. Moving on to question number two in the Hot Haney Five, guys. And speaking of, of spreads, Alabama was a 12-point favorite on the road at LSU. Obviously, we know that the Tigers were able to get a very dramatic two-point conversion in overtime. Uh, again, the stones on Brian Kelly. I was watching that game with some friends, and as soon as we saw them lining up for two, they were like, they're going for two. And I was like, man, that's a pretty emphatic decision right off the at us that they've seen something they know they can go get it you don't just make that decision that quickly to go and run and uh, even after the timeout uh, LSU and Brian Kelly get a huge win over Alabama second loss for the tie this year your first one of course being to Tennessee and another dramatic road loss for the tide um, guys 
I can't believe I'm about to ask this question, and I feel like there might be some some Alabama ninjas going to repel from my ceiling and be ready to like <laughs> lop my head off or something. But between the end of the Tennessee game and the three passes to set up a 50-yard field goal, which was missed, giving Tennessee a manageable field to go get their own game-winning field goal, uh, the litany of penalties over a handful of games, this game against LSU where I understand why the decisions were made. Still not really a fan of the two-point calls that were mm. done by Alabama, um, which set them up for uh, – which would have put them up three, uh, which would have put them up six eventually uh, there in the fourth quarter. Again, numbers-wise, I, I understand it. But, man, if you just kick the extra point one of those two times, you're going to kick a field goal to win the game. You never get to overtime here. So the question I'm asking here – uh, in spite of the six titles, in spite of everything, he's a legend. We all get it. It starts at the top. But this year's Alabama, are they just a poorly coached team in 2022? JC, we'll start with you. I, I, look, there's a lot going on with Alabama. First and foremost, um, I do radio in Tuscaloosa every Wednesday or Thursday morning. Barry Sanderson, Wimp Sanderson. It's fun. It's like getting together and having beers with those guys. But anyway, I digress. Uh, their fans are mad at Bill O'Brien, their OC. Uh, they're mad at Saban. They're mad at a lot of – look, I'm going to tell you this. There's one spot on the field, and I guess you could be mad at Nick Saban for this because that's kind of his specialty. The secondary is poorly coached, and it's been a revolving door. Those guys are undisciplined. They In that defensive system, you have to play discipline. Uh, even when you play discipline, you're going to bust some of the time – just because of the complexities of it and, and what they put on their safeties. Uh, so that's A. I, I think there's one spot that you look at and go, the coaching is not up to snuff, and that's that's on the defensive backfield. And uh, I kind of I kind of know why. Uh person coaching the D-backs out there, I got really familiar with his work, especially later in his tenure at South Carolina. And let's just say there's a lot of guys in the NFL that are doing a good job, and that secondary got lit up consistently. We all saw it, especially you, Haney. Uh, so maybe that wasn't the best hire. Uh, the other problem is, man, they just don't have the receivers they did. You know, you're talking about last year before the injuries and the year before, uh, and even in 19, Alabama just for years had, you know, elite receivers. Uh, and I think they have good receivers this year. Uh, I don't know that I'd call them elite. I mean, Jermaine Burton's kind of reaping what he sowed, leaving Georgia and going to the team that they just beat for the national title. Um, I think other guys haven't maybe worked as hard. Uh, you know, I think they got some nice pieces, but they just don't have the receivers. So so I don't think it's the play calling. I don't think it's – I think Bryce Young's trying and doing his best. Uh, I think there's two glaring issues, and they, they have to do with the – Passing game, passing the ball, stopping the pass, and that's the secondary. And they just straight up are not what they were at receiver, and that happens. I don't care what the star ratings were. You know, you're going to have it. It's like Clemson and quarterbacks. You know, Clemson's got, what, two five-star quarterbacks now? Are they even close to Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson? No. But that, but that's normal. It's not a disappointment. It happens. Not, not all five stars are created equal, right? So uh, I think those are the two uh, – sort of glaring issues with uh, Alabama right now. I'll I'll go just um on one layer of the question. Uh, look, there's no problem with Nick Saban. Nick Saban is is still the great Nick Saban. 
But those two-point conversion calls, particularly the second one, I kept questioning my own math as I'm watching the game. Now, I've seen this for years. If you go back several years, like when I first started uh, calling high school games, you had the old school coaches that had that little chart in their back pocket, and it would say, well, when you're down five, then you always go for two. And if you're down three, and, and, and some of these coaches would actually follow that in like the first quarter. And I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Again, when you go for two, it's less than 50%. Okay. The extra point, even in college, college kickers, it's almost automatic. It never makes sense to go for two in my estimation before the fourth quarter. Now I realize we are talking about the fourth quarter, but the second one to go up by six instead of five. Yeah. So the, the score was 21 to 17. It would have put them up 23, 17. And obviously if LSU scores, you're forcing them to have to kick the extra point to go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but again, the extra point, even in college, especially at programs like this, it's almost automatic. That, that made no sense. And and how much time was on the clock when they did that? You, I mean, you painted it properly, Michael, and that is that if they don't do that, this game doesn't even go into overtime. So, look, I, I think even the very best of coaches can make moves that if they had it back, they'd be like, why did I do that? Uh, um, and no one's going to be like, no, 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 Nick, you, we don't need to go for two here. <laughs> You're not doing that. If you're an assistant coach, no. Um but that was just a head scratch. That's not 2020 hindsight. I mean, I, there's, I know I'm in a, in a group of, of millions that are watching that game. Uh, and I say millions, I'm not exaggerating. I know Georgia, Tennessee drew 14 million. I didn't see the number on Alabama LSU. I'm sure it was right around there. That would out, that would outrate the final game of the world series and every game of the NBA playoffs last year, in case you're wondering the health of college football. Um, but it just didn't make any sense. And it wound up costing them. Now, that being said, let's give credit where it's due. Uh, the the call that is major cojones and Brian Kelly. Why did he leave Notre Dame to go to LSU? Because he knew with LSU talent, he could do what he couldn't do at Notre Dame, which is beat a program like Alabama Nick Saban. I mean, this is the coronation and it is the justification as to why he took the job. And it's also an, a blank you to all the people that were ripping Brian Kelly early in the season because they just wanted to rip him. The guy is a hell of a coach. And I think I've been consistent with that on this podcast now for quite some time. And don't be surprised if they're in the SEC championship game in year freaking one, when everybody and their grandmother were picking Alabama and or A&M. Um, interesting tweet. If you go back and look at Ross Dellinger, he posted, because, uh, Kelly brought this up in 2014, that exact same play call when he was coaching Notre Dame at FSU down the stretch would have won the game. It was converted, but they called it offensive pass interference. It's a little bit of a pick play, or as we like to call it, a rub play. A rub play is legal. A pick play is not. Um, and he, But he knew it wasn't going to get called. And he knew Jaden Daniels had options galore and was going to pick the right one. But still, that is a ballsy, ballsy call because if you don't get it, Holy smokes! Are they are they tearing him a new one? Um, that's how you that's how you immediately in less than ten games on the job, you change the the culture, the outlook, the vibe, and everything surrounding the hire. 
and, and where LSU football is going. I just want to point that out, Mike, that you're bringing up the 2014 call. Let's just stay in this season, sliding doors moment. Oh, and Jimbo Fisher. I was going to say that. Ran almost the exact same play, or at least a, a very, very similar, similar play where they're play. trying to go to the front corner. Clemson did it in the national title game. Mm-hmm. It's something with that setup. Or and I think every school or, or every team has at least a similar play call in their playbook. But there's something about the Bama defense that these teams see that they think that they can attack. So that is, yeah. I was sitting here saying the same thing, Michael. So, uh, you know, great minds think alike. And I'm like, and Jimbo got ripped for that play call, too. Uh, Johnny Johnny Manziel pocket, ripped Jimbo, on the, you know. Uh, and so, but yeah, you're, you're right. Kind of the, a similar thing to what Clemson ran uh, in the national championship game in 2016 to Sean Watson to Hunter Renfro for the victory. So they're, must be some sort of breakdown. And what's funny about it, you know, Saban's coaching show, uh, they did the Jimbo play, and he went through the whole assignment. He was like, this guy's the sniffer. This guy's the rat. All these football terms and stuff. And you're like, you know, me, I'm like, tell me more. I love it. You know, because I'm, I'm into stuff like that. Um, it he didn't have enough eyes. Yeah, but it was uh, it, it was just one of those things. So it was, um, yeah, you're right. That, that's interesting, really interesting about that defense. All right. Well, moving along, guys. Yeah, I could I could football nerd on on plagues and assignments and and how things uh, break down. I would love to do a film study of of Georgia versus Tennessee's offense, just because there's so many uh, talented teams and talented coaches that have gone against Heupel's offense and, and and the way that they split out their receivers as far as they do and open up so much space. Just you know, how do you how do you really shut that kind of stuff down? I'd love to do a deconstruction of all of that. Maybe we'll do it. Uh, you know, one day we can. It does we can help do when you have Georgia talent. It does also help when you get dudes <laughs> everywhere. When no you've got that kind that. of talent, it helps. No question. I'll uh, say this, though. On to question number, oh. One more point about that. Who's Georgia's defensive coordinator? Will well, Muschamp. Uh, when he was at South Carolina and Heifel was at Missouri, South Carolina had their number, routinely shut them down. So, for whatever yeah. that's worth, there you go. Yeah. And, look, Josh Heifel's offense at UCF was not – it. it like I've pointed out, and uh, we've, we've got our correspondent uh, UCF Knight, uh, our big golden. Uh, uh, no, not golden anymore. He's gonna he's gonna take a shot at me for that. The Knight correspondent. They they, they were not all enamored with Josh Heupel. It was not a like this guy is a brilliant offensive play caller. We can't let him go. So look, Josh Heupel's done tremendous work. We overreact. This is a loss for Tennessee. They still have had a marvelous turnaround, which has been one of the best stories in college football in a long, long time, and I still maintain I think they're going to get to the playoff. But what you saw on Saturday, to your point, J.C., it it didn't shock everybody as much as maybe it shocked some that thought, well, this this offense is just indefensible. It can be. It it reminded me of Independence Day, the movie. Like – when uh, Bill Pullman, who's the president, is like, get on the line. Tell them how to take these guys down. <laughs> uh, and you just got a picture, you know, bus champ and smart back there on Morse code. <laughs> and I think that's what you have to do. A bunch of great articles in The Athletic asking 20 different coaches, 20 different ways. to It's like Waffle House hash browns. How do you stop Tennessee? 
some of them are just throwing up their hands. Well, they can't stop them. They'll hang, they'll hang half a hundred on Georgia, all that good stuff. Uh, I think what you have to do is you have to put pressure on the passer and you have to have great athletes on the back end to cover, to recover ground. Uh, I also think it helps to have bigger corners because uh, Kylie Ringo is a big corner, right? Jalen Hyatt's not the biggest guy. And Jalen Hyatt got mashed and, and thrown off course. And, and when you do that in that system, because it's based on it's a lot like Steve, some concepts that Steve Spurrier used to use where receivers run what's called option routes. Um, but it's different because they do it against zone. Like Spurrier had specific things against zone. I mean, I'm sorry, they do it against man. Uh against zone, Spurrier, like, well, this is steamers and this is shoot, this is cover three and if 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 they're in cover two, you do a slant. If this, you do that. And then against man, he would call different things uh, out of his offense. Uh, there weren't a lot of option routes. This this joker's against man. So, in other words, the receiver there. The the, the 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 concept is receiver drives the guy off the line, no matter what. So then, if he's behind you, you have the option to come back on like what's called a stick route. And he's usually wide open for 10 yards. And their philosophy is we'll take the 10 and live to fight another day. If he, if you're by him, it's bombs away. You know, you saw the first early pass to Hyatt. That's what that is. It, it's it, it, And then there's some plays where you got two guys over on that end of the field. And you're so far across the field, they don't even move. They don't even move because it's a half field read each time. So you have to have, I think, physical players at the line of scrimmage to jam the receivers and not let them get to making that option. Uh, and then I think you, you got to have selective blitzes. You can't blitz all day, but you got to have bring selective pressure and, and get the quarterback uncomfortable in the pocket. And then the third thing really guys is you cannot let them run the football eff- effectively because what they'll do if all else fails is they'll line up and run you to death. Uh, it's the Bryles system. And I always tell the story about the, Whatever the it's the Cheez It Bowl now, the other Orlando Bowl or the 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 number two Orlando Bowl. Um, they uh, you know, Browse at Baylor, he didn't have a quarterback. Some guys went pro, some guys were injured, some guys quit the team. He lined up a wide receiver at quarterback. He ran for 670 yards against North Carolina and beat him like 60 to 30 or something like that. Uh, and that offense is designed if all else fails, they're gonna be able to spread you out and run it. Georgia had answers for everything defensively, and I do agree talent matters. But uh, yeah, Alabama's got some pretty talented defensive <laughs> players too, and uh, so does LSU, and a, and a lot of teams. Those guys have gone up and down the field on. So uh, you know, I, I think that's it, and, and I hope I got the X's and O's right, and I'm not being a moron about that for those of you that do follow it. But that's based on reading those articles in the Athletic and then applying it to what I saw. That's kind of how I think they got them. Yeah, it was interesting uh, to hear. I think David Ubbin was the author of of that piece uh, that you're referring to, and, mm-hmm. and um, I saw him uh, tweeting, and, I, and I've listened to a little bit of his podcast saying he had people uh, saying, "Well, it was just Kirby just had the plant, didn't he? He just planted some coaches to say some stuff to motivate <laughs> to motivate the Georgia team, having some fun conspiracy theories uh, with that one." Uh, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, all told, what it comes down to is you don't make up the gap between talent of Georgia in, in a year. Um, so again, Tennessee's had a tremendous year and this is still going to be a, a banner year 
uh, for uh, the the Vol Nation. But uh, yeah, I, I think that was the lesson that we all learned is that you don't get to make up the talent gap in in such a quick uh, time frame. Uh, no matter how uh, much you might want to. Uh, speaking of, moving to question number three, uh, and and question four is going to be the same, just a little bit different content. But uh, speaking of LSU, um, again, college football, as we know, gentlemen, uh, I don't think that there's any other sport uh, that is quite as week to week as college football is. Again, you're dealing with 18 to 22, 23. Well, in the case of Hendon Hooker and Stetson Bennett, 24, you know, going on 25 uh, year old men. Um, you never know what's going on in their lives and, and what's going to happen. But from week one to week, uh, what are we in now? Going to week 11? Um, LSU and Oregon both lost out of conference games. Uh, Oregon embarrassed by Georgia. Uh, as you know, Georgia will do to plenty of teams, and, and LSU uh, hung on or, or almost um, almost came back and, and got at least an overtime uh, with Florida State there. But my question to you: bigger surprise turnaround since Week One and the narrative that's around each team, LSU or Oregon? Mike, we'll start with you. Who is the biggest surprise? Biggest the, surprise turnaround since oh, week turnaround. one. Oh, uh, turnaround. Since yeah, we, okay, surprise I got you. Turnaround since uh, their week one out of conference loss. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be Oregon. I mean, look, LSU didn't play that badly in the Florida State game. and They're a, a kick away uh, from winning the game or advancing the game. I, I, I don't like, I don't think LSU had anything to be embarrassed about in week one. I think Oregon did. I think Oregon just fed into the narrative that that's the same old. Pac-12, Pac-10, can't compete with the big boys. This is why they're sitting on the sidelines every year during the playoff, and this is why they'll be doing it again. And all of a sudden, it's like Bo Nix is a legitimate Heisman Trophy uh, candidate. I'll, I'll throw that on there. He was part of my, um, you know, the year of redemption um, monologue I went on a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bo Nix has been outstanding. Dan Lanning has, has them playing great. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like torn on all this because I just had a Miami game with Mario Cristobal and they look so bad. And then they look so bad again this past weekend against Florida state. Remember when that was like a relevant game, Miami, Florida state, anybody viewer, mm -hmm. um, the, I mean, Mario did recruit those players to Oregon. So like he's got to get some credit for what Dan Lanning just inherited, a first-time head coach. Um, but there's clearly talent in Eugene, and they are clearly playing outstanding football. So my answer is Oregon. I'm going to Oregon as well. Uh, I think in the short term, you could make a bigger case for LSU because I, I think once Oregon kind of got past uh, – you know, they got back home. Uh, they beat the crap out of who Eastern Washington. They scored 70. Uh, and, and they played that BYU game. Remember, because everybody was thinking BYU's cool. They're good. They beat Baylor. Uh, and they boat raced BYU and, and Eugene. And then they've passed every test. And it culminated with UCLA. Keep in mind, on October 8th, Tennessee went to Baton Rouge and slapped LSU in the mouth. <laughs> and then you know Ole Miss goes in there and gets up pretty you know a couple touchdowns early and then something just clicked now I, I'd always thought that Daniels was an excellent quarterback and I, I, I figured there was just some time to kind of get him accustomed to what they were doing 
Uh, and that's going to happen with the portal these days, especially especially with a guy like that who relies so much on his athleticism. But, um, uh, you know, but I, I'd have to say uh, Oregon definitely big picture. But with the recency bias, I can see where people would say LSU. Um, Oregon and what they're doing with Bo Nix is, 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 is really awesome, uh, I think. And, and I thought Bo Nix, before he got hurt last year, actually improved under Harson and Mike Bobo. But but he's kind of gone next level uh, out there at Oregon. I think one of my favorite stats uh, here, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I, I saw somebody tweet that Bo Nix had as many touchdown passes in one game Auburn had had all season. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit of a rebirth for Bo Nix uh, out uh, in Oregon for sure. Uh, and another stat for uh, for Brian Kelly, uh, Mike, you were mentioning, you know, hey, this is why, why you leave Notre Dame uh, and the things that you can do uh, at LSU. I believe in the previous eight years, Brian Kelly had two wins over top ten teams with the Fighting Irish. He now has two within the last uh, month yeah. at LSU. So Yeah, it's do, – do you know how many people would argue with you if you said LSU is a better job? Like there's just some people that cannot comprehend that Notre Dame would not be a better job than LSU. Mm. Um, but if you like having better talent and all the facilities that you need and playing in the best conference in college football. And, and I don't mean this in a negative way, Mike, but a little yeah. bit uh, less oversight. Well, no, well, I, no absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, I, <laughs> that's, I think that's also – That's well on. documented. I mean, Notre Dame has a different – standard if you will uh than so many other programs which makes it more difficult to coach and recruit yeah. and you know, yeah, people people wonder why he did it and it's the same reason mike leach jumped at mississippi state uh like it's about players and these guys believe they can win anywhere they can believe they can out coach people because they've done it at the lower levels. Brian Kelly outcoached people at Grand Valley State for 10 years <laughs> and Cincinnati and Central Michigan. Yeah, Central Michigan and all those places before he got to Notre Dame. Uh, and I think what he did was he was tired of bumping his head up against the ceiling because fundamentally, as we always say, Mike and Michael here on the podcast, it comes down to players. Those Notre Dame teams weren't any less well coached than Saban's teams, they just didn't have the talent. And they're not going to get the talent. Um, you know, so so Leach, you know, Texas Tech and Washington State are both outposts. You have to get in a dang of helicopter to go find probably one recruit two hours away from Pullman. Talent hotbed it is not. Same with Lubbock. You'd think, oh, it's in Texas. Nah, it's way out in Tumbleweed Land, way West Texas. And nothing against them. They win and do well, and he did well there. And there's enough players in that state. But, man, at Mississippi State, you can throw a rock and hit a player. You know, you've got talent in Starkville of all places. You've got a state that per capita is one of the best NFL producing states in the country. Um, you've got a JUCO system you can tap into mm -hmm. with minimal work to get guys in. You've got better athletes. And so I, I think what these guys did was, I think Kelly was like, look, I can win a, lo a lot of games on equal footing on, on a schedule anywhere in the country. But when I get to that game against Clemson, or I get to that game against Bama, or I get to that game against a program like LSU, I am at a huge disadvantage. So, um, you know, in, in, and I said this about Brian, a lot of people don't like him or whatever, or he's kind of cringy being in the South or whatever. That's fine. But he's not a guy that was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Th this guy paid his dues, coached D2 ball, coached in the MAC. Coast of the American slash Conference USA. I mean, 
one, and he's the all-time wins leader in Notre Dame history. That means he had more wins than, oh, I don't know, Newt Rockney, <laughs> Arapar Segan, Lou Holtz, Dan Devine, you name it. So why not, man? You get, well, How old is he, 60-something? I mean, why not take your shot? Because it, it, it gets precarious at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame can make the playoff a lot of years. But I you don't think they can win it. I don't think they can win it. Uh, I don't either. Uh uh, and, and you know, congratulations the win over Clemson. Um, but Notre Dame's not in the playoff hunt this year for sure. How they lost to Marshall is beyond the pay. I still don't know. I don't get that at all. Um, the same guy that hired Ryan Kelly at LSU is the same guy that hired Jimbo Fisher at AM. You think about that. Mm-hmm. What do I always say about AD? I mean, it's a crapshoot. Um, you know, everybody thought the Jimbo Fisher was the brilliant big game hunt hire for Mr. Woodward. And a lot of people were very skeptical of the hire of Brian Kelly. Not really a good fit necessarily for LSU. Same guy hired both of them. One guy is starting to really turn the tide, pun intended. Uh, and the other guy just lost five in a row for the first time in that program's history since 1980, 42 years ago. Six well, lost Jimbo. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild, pretty wild. And, and I, I considered um, putting them in my next question. So this is your surprise part two. I, I did not put Texas A and M in there just because uh, I, I think I knew what the answer would be. I mean, when you're a when you're a top ten team and you are where where Texas A and M is right now, I think that's uh, that that speaks for itself in terms of, of surprise and not not uh, meeting the standards going into this year, but bigger surprise. Number two, um, I added this first team just because of the loss that they recently incurred. Mike, you mentioned it earlier, Arkansas losing to Liberty, uh, man, what a fall for, for the hogs since uh, the first couple of weeks, uh, first three weeks of the season. Um, so bigger surprise, uh, number two, Arkansas or Oklahoma state. Uh, it's Oklahoma state for me. I was very high on this team. And I thought that they were the pick to win the Big 12. Obviously, I was wrong. Um, they, for, they, I mean, they look good early, and, and they just they hit a wall that I can't really understand or justify or what have you. They've been outscored 84 to 16 in the last Yeah, it, it just doesn't figure. Like, I know it's college kids, and, and you don't know what's going on in the locker room, blah, 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 but that just doesn't make – doesn't make any sense. What was the other team? I forgot in the question. Uh, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I I know I'm not alone on this. I thought Arkansas was due to have a down year. Sam Pittman's a great, great story. We all love Sam. We all want to crack a beer with Sam, maybe two, maybe a six-pack. But at some point, uh, and, and look, I have these preseason lists of SEC quarterbacks, and a lot of people had K.J. Jefferson number two. I like KJ, but he ain't playing like the number two quarterback in the league. I know he's had some injuries and whatnot, but um, they just, they kind of peaked. They kind of peaked. And, you know, stories like Bumper Pool, which were so uh, uh, admirable, you know, he he inherited a a bunch of guys that were not highly touted coming out of high school and they were all playing well together and everything else. And and Sam Pittman is a media darling, justifiably so, because he's such a likable guy. And he too paid his dues to finally get that job. But, at some point, I was waiting for Arkansas to take a step down, and not perhaps this big, but but I'm not as surprised at that as I am Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, I, I Oklahoma State's quarterback issues are, are one thing, but then 
You just look, they've been getting the, the crud beat out of them. It's kind of like you said, Mike, about the Big 12 this year. There's no easy weeks. There's no easy weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, and I thought Arkansas, once they lost that game to A&M, I thought, eh, shine's kind of come off. I don't know. They're not that good on defense, blah, blah, blah. Um, And the shine has come off. So, yeah, I, I think I'm probably more surprised because I thought at the beginning of the year, Oklahoma State, I was like, this is the year, Mike Gundy. Maybe he gets to the playoff. Who knows? But it didn't happen. It certainly did not. It certainly did not. And and uh, moving on to question number five, uh, we'll try to rapid fire a little bit of this uh, as we get into the SEC spotlight and under the radar uh, and, and get to our picks five segment, guys. But final question for you here in the hot hangy five, uh, not to to bury uh, a, a, a top five upset here, but Clemson got steamrolled by Notre Dame, a Notre Dame team that has been up and down. Mike, you mentioned that. How the hell did they lose to Marshall? Uh, they lost to a bad Stanford team. Uh, they've obviously had quarterback issues. Uh, by the way, I, I believe uh, Notre Dame's quarterback had 85 passing yards. I think he went 9 for 17 in that game. If you would have said ahead of time, hey, Notre Dame's quarterback is going to go 9 for 17, pass for 85 yards, and they're going to beat Clemson handily, uh, you, you would not take that bet, would you? Uh, you certainly wouldn't, but uh, Clemson uh, now likely out of the college football playoff uh, uh, because of that loss, not just that they lost, but in the, the manner that they lost, unless some other mass chaos surrounds, which it's college football, anything is possible. Uh, I say all of that to say Clemson is the team. They have been the standard in the ACC, but there's another team on the other side that's having a very good year. There's a quarterback, Mike, that she put in the under the radar several weeks back, Drake May. Do we need to be talking about the North Carolina Tar Heels a hell of a lot more than what we have been? <laughs> we we might. Uh, I don't have any confidence in their defense still, uh, although Gene Chizik has righted a lot of the, the wrongs early in the year when they were porous uh, at best. But, again, just remember the name. I've mentioned it on this uh, podcast uh, before, and I think now he's starting to become a household name. Uh, Drake May might be the number one pick in the draft in a couple – is it a year? Is he eligible after next year? Would he be a redshirt sophomore? I think he is. Um, that kid is just, of all the quarterbacks that were getting hype, and there were a lot in the ACC this year, most of which, by the way, have been disappointing. This kid, nobody saw this coming. He has been fantastic. And Downs is an NFL wide receiver. and I mean, they've got some around them, but uh, he's the real deal. Now, are they a playoff-type team? No, not really. And I don't think they'll they'll get there, but put them down next year. Put them down. I mean, the, the next year could be really interesting. Um, if if you're going about on just this year, Clemson is not a lock to win the ACC by any stretch at this point. They clearly have issues scoring points. Um, they don't have the receivers that they once did. Which I, when I talk about Clemson, I feel like I'm talking about Alabama minus the fact that Alabama has. Bryce Young is one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in college football, and he's had several Heisman moments this year. His team down hadn't been Bryce Young. Conversely, with Clemson, they don't have the wide receivers that they used to have either, but they certainly don't have the quarter. There's no Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence taking snaps right now. Um, so that's that's the biggest difference. And, you know, how does that happen? Well, I mean, J.C. can tell you, you, you bring in a five-star quarterback, he doesn't play like a five-star quarterback. It happens. Not just that, that this is not like the only time this has ever happened. Not every five-star quarterback comes in and lights it up and then just turns into a first-round draft pick in three years. That's We think that's going to happen to all these these guys. Uh, and DJ looks the part coming out of the coming off the bus, 
but he hadn't played like it. And, you know, the freshman behind him might be the best thing since sliced bread, but he's not there yet. So that's that's Clemson in a nutshell. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. Their, their receivers are going to come back here pretty soon. They got two kids from in-state, in Antonio Williams, who's a freshman, and Adam Randall, who's a freshman. They both kind of struggle with injuries, but uh, those two are two to keep an eye on. I, I think the quarterback situation is just baffling because uh, – I think DJ's better. Uh, is he playing like everybody thought he was going to play? And then, you know, he was getting, he was a Heisman odds guy going into last year. Uh, and I reminded everybody, yeah, he filled in uh, a couple of times for Trevor and did well, uh, including a game at Notre Dame that they lost. But, uh, you know, nobody played defense that year, man. <laughs> uh, it, it was a lot easier for him to go out there. And then they almost lost to Boston College with him playing quarterback, too. Uh, I think he regressed. Uh, I think that this year he's gotten a little better. The The problem they have, too, is like they have a five-star behind him in uh, Cade Kublik, Kublik um, who is a guy that's going to be really good. Uh, he's just not ready. I mean, and you can't count on – you know, I don't care what kind of star ratings your guys have. You can't count on a freshman coming in every single season and bailing you out like that. Um, it just doesn't happen, you know, every year. Nobody's that good at, at recruiting quarterbacks that are ready to go right away. Um, I think the bigger problem if you're Clemson is their defense. I, I, I mean, they've got a, how many future NFL guys on that side of the ball? Uh I gave their new defensive coordinator the benefit of the doubt, and I said, well, he'll be fine because he's got so much talent. But there is something askew on that side of the ball in a major way because uh, I thought their D-line would be dominant. And they are. They're very, very good. But are they one of the best? In, are they the best in the country like people were thinking? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, and then the final thing was this. You know, in, in the Chicagoland area on Saturday – we had what's called 65-mile-an-hour wind gusts. Um, and if if you're wondering, anyone out there, if you just look at the box score and you're like, <laughs> how in the heck did Ohio State almost, you know, struggle with Northwestern? Uh, they beat him 21-7. C.J. Stroud, I think he completed 30% of his passes. Well, that's why. Because <laughs> the wind was blowing the ball around the yard. Northwestern's up on the lake too, which makes it even worse. I mean, they basically played the game in a tornado. And, hmm. and, and what, what struck me is interesting. Some of the Clemson folks were talking about that. Like, oh, well, they had some wind and the issues in that game too, and blah, blah, blah. DJ was 27 for 39. It's not bad. Not a bad day at the office, do you think? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if you can even blame the wind. I think if the wind worked against Clemson, it was because Notre Dame was like, in classic Notre Dame fashion, you know, you hear read all these stories about Rockney and the Gipper and all this stuff, and you know them just whatever. Well, we're just going to go out there and light up and run the football, men, the like the four horsemen, you know. And that's exactly what they did because I think they didn't feel like they could throw it at all uh, with with the wind gusting like that. So it's kind of an interesting uh, tidbit uh, up here in my area uh, about those two games, the wind. Yeah, sometimes people use the weather as an excuse, but the wind was definitely a big factor uh, up here that day. I mean, I I kept my dog inside because I was worried the wind was literally going to blow him away. That wouldn't be good for anybody. 
No, God, no. no. no, you no know, and you no. know Red, he'd get mad at yeah. the wind and try to bite it. He, yeah, he'd bark at the wind, yeah. try to bite it, and yeah, wind, wind is undefeated. Yeah, and it is undefeated. It certainly is. It certainly is. That wraps it up for the for the hot, for the hot handy five gentlemen. Uh, you want to head into a little bit of an SEC spotlight? Now? Yeah, let's let's pick up the pace here. Um, uh, obviously, we've um, uh, we've talked a lot about Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama. You know, those were the the marquee matchups uh, of the weekend, really across college football. Uh, so uh, I'll just ask you a question. What did you think of uh, Cadillac Williams and his uh, <laughs> and his uh, appearance uh, at Auburn? Uh, in, 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 uh, ugh, what am I trying to say here? In place of the uh, fired Brian Harson, it finally happened. He finally got his arm lopped off. That hot tub time machine reference coming back for me. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yep. But uh, but yeah. Again, Mississippi State. Uh, the the um, the on again off again. Mike Leach. Which team is going to show up? They were winning. Auburn got came back in. Anyway, ultimately, your thoughts on uh, on uh, what happened with Auburn and Mississippi State? Uh, look, first off, uh, I loved Cadillac Williams as a player. Let me just say that, like uh, Cadillac Williams was, was a bad man, part of a really good. Uh, remember, it was Cadillac, it was Ronnie Brown. Like that's that, those are some fun Auburn teams to watch back when teams actually feature the run more. Um, at times, I was entertained by it. Was, it was like they it was like a they took a Price is Right uh, audience member and said, "Come on down, you're the next contestant on. Be the interim coach." And and Carnell is just like he's just enjoying life. I mean, he's got nothing to lose. It's all house money. Um, the reaction on whenever he called a timeout to ice the kicker, which he did two or three straight times, it didn't work. Like, I think he thought like he really that was that was kind of like Newt Rockney type coaching um it, you know like that's done all the time it, it's really you don't need to get that hyped up over calling a timeout for a kicker kicks a kick like it, it was somewhat comical uh and entertaining but the fact of the matter is it just goes to show you when you when you've had this cloud over you as auburn has and then all of a sudden you know the coach is fired people say why do you fire a coach in the middle of the season well it just at some point it reaches a a point of no return where it, it it does get worse and the toxicity is there. So you just change it up for the sake of changing it up. And so that's what they did. And it almost worked. I mean, Auburn came out there, they were playing looser and this is not a knock on Brian Harson. I don't think Brian Harson was, uh, uh, you know, the major problem that someone would make him out to be, but, but yeah, it was just, it was, <laughs> it was like, okay, we, I don't know. We got this guy on the sideline is jumping up and down. Like he's, He's in the huddle, and we're just going to go out there and have fun and and see what happens. And Mississippi State took a big lead to the locker room and came out a little lackadaisical and and almost blew that game, which would have been huge. So uh, I, I thought it was it was I would say one word entertaining. Mike Leach. Mike Leach was not happy with his Bulldogs. <laughs> uh, he went over there on the sidelines and and like started like. Folding the chairs, folding the and chairs. throwing them on the yeah. ground, like we don't deserve to sit down. Uh, and I yeah, think he, was... I think he brought up the fat little girlfriend's comments that he had at Texas Tech too after the, after the game as well. I got to double he check did. that to make sure, but uh, he was not happy. Auburn played inspired. Auburn had a, you know, it's kind of funny because the whole Harson era, Auburn's kind of been like a black hole to me. I'd still, you just don't hear much about him. You didn't hear much about him in recruiting. Didn't hear much about him in the transfer portal, which you think they would be all over. 
didn't hear much about him at all, you know. And uh, they got to six and two last year and collapsed. You, you started hearing about all this drama and stuff down there. And then this season, literally after that Penn State game, nobody said anything. Nobody talked about him. Nobody did anything. Um, and, and so it's kind of they're kind of like a mystery, you know, almost. And they kind of went under the radar and just boring. I mean, it just I've never seen Auburn football that boring. They should have uh, had Joe Moorhead back, and they could have had the our coach completely does not fit with this program or in this league bowl. Yeah, Joe Moorhead versus Brian Harson. Everybody, it'd have been amazing. And it, so, but but Cadillac, the, one thing comes out of Auburn social media on, on Friday night before the game, and he gives this great speech about what the ball meant to him and and how it's changed his life. Well, you know, people can judge that for what it's worth, but. You finally got the sense at that point, you know, oh, okay, this is Auburn football, you know. And, and I expected them to go play well. I, I don't think I saw a big comeback coming like they had. I think that's more on Mississippi State, by the way. But, uh, you know, good for them. Cadillac's a legend there. They're probably not going to win again this season unless they beat Western Kentucky this weekend, which I think is up in the air. But, uh, you know, good for them. Play out the string and, you know, bring on Hugh Freeze, Lane Kiffin, Jeff Grimes, whoever you, whoever the next guy is there, and uh, we'll get to enjoy Auburn football again because I, I, I just never seen them like that. They were almost like Bill Curry, Kentucky before he got fired. That bad, you know. I mean, just, just, just not, not bad. Like, like the Chiswick year was kind of a train wreck, and it was like cool, and you watched it, and you're like, whoa, they used to be pretty good. Now they're not. Whoa, this was just like, oh, Auburn's on. I think I'm going to turn the TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. casual. And I used to love watching them play and games at Jordan Hare were excited as lifeless crowds and stuff. So uh, it, I did. It was like Brian Harson was an interim coach without an interim <laughs> tag or label. I mean, but he yeah. basically, for like for the entire season, he was essentially a placeholder. He was an interim <laughs> coach without the title. Uh, yeah. Because everybody uh, knew he was going to get fired. It was just a matter of when. And, you know, his personality is just not for the SEC. I'm not saying that everybody's got to be have have a, a unique personality or anything, but he's just like an avatar coach. He was like, you play this video game and like you choose Auburn, right? Uh, on NCAA football and EA sports. And then they have that generic uh, uh, avatar coach on the sidelines. You know, the, he's just, he's just coach, you know, that's just kind of what he was. It's like hey, having coach. a generic 30 year old Syracuse broadcasting graduate uh, calling SEC games. Like it just doesn't fit. Yeah. You can try and force it in there, but it doesn't necessarily fit. Yeah, it was bad. So, so I, I did think that Cadillac speech was kind of a sign Auburn maybe. It's kind of like here's the here's the light on the horizon of the return of Auburn football, so to speak. I don't know. Maybe I'm being dramatic. I don't know. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen a uh, a team win with a walk-off roughing the punter penalty as uh, Kentucky did over Missouri? Oh, you know, I still haven't seen that play. I read about it when it happened. Um, and, and that, that game was every bit of what I thought it would be low scoring, kind of ugly. I know Levis had three touchdown passes, didn't throw a pick, but their offense is clearly scuffling in Missouri as, as we saw the week before can be dangerous. Uh, but no, I've never, never seen that before. I think Kentucky made a mistake. Mark Stoops rarely makes mistakes, right? I think he kind of was looking for sitting around on Sundays watching NFL ball and thinking, man, I'd love for our offense to look like this. 
And I, and I, I just get back to this, Mike. They've never been go up and down the field explosive on offense. I think Eddie Grant had this, had it figured out there, though, because he could go five wide and throw it, or he could get in the wildcat and run it, or he'd do power. Uh, and it was all kind of co- collegiate and simple to learn and all that. I think the last two years, they've got arguably more talent than they have at the skill spots, and I know their line's struggling this year, but even last year, they weren't statistically all that good. They're last in the SEC total offense right now. So Well, they have no line. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there there is no big blue wall. I I, I understand what you're saying, but mm-hmm. they're not they're they're not creating holes running. Like if they ran, if they went back to smash mouth, thirty carries a game for Rodriguez and the rest of the backfield. Like I I just that was when people were saying, "Oh, Kentucky's going to win eleven games this year." I was like, "You haven't seen their offensive line." I had their spring game. Like they they don't have a line. And when you don't have that in this league, you got problems. And so, and then you lose Wondell Robinson, who caught a hundred passes, who's in the NFL. Um, you've got two freshman receivers are your best weapons, and you got no line. And then you have an NFL quarterback, but it's it's not all about like we always talk about. It's clearly the most important position on the field. It is, but you have to have some help. And Le- Will Levis has very little help uh, on that roster. And uh, there's very little help with Texas A&M right now. 18 of their 22 uh, too deep uh, were out this past weekend. Uh, the the season just continues to be a massive mudslide for Jimbo Fisher. But Florida gets a big win uh, on the road in, in uh, College Station. Billy Napier continuing to do uh, some good things. There's still a, a win away uh, from bowl eligibility. South Carolina able to go up to Vanderbilt and at least for a night right some wrongs offensively against a bad Vandy defense and get themselves bowl eligible. Uh, just trying to look ahead to to this weekend, guys. Mm-hmm. Any any other games, Mike, you mentioned Georgia and Mississippi State is a game that you were intrigued by uh, with that, but any other uh, games that stick out to you uh, for this weekend's slate? Alabama Ole Miss obviously is a huge game, but uh, what, what do you guys think about the weekend ahead? That's the. I mean, that's the main one. That's a CBS game. Anytime you got Saban going up against Kiffin, and Saban's reeling a little bit, and Kiffin technically, you know, if you win out, Ole Miss still has a chance to do big things. Just nobody thinks Ole Miss is going to win out. Uh, I mentioned the Georgia Mississippi State game. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to calling it on radio, be on ESPN as well at night with uh, Sean McDonough. And then, uh, yeah, I think the South Carolina Florida game is intriguing for for different reasons. Um, I give Missouri no shot at Tennessee, LSU at Arkansas, Vandy at Kentucky. Whew. That's uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the Gamecock. Look, the the, the game. I'll just say one thing on the Gamecock uh, Florida game. Keep Anthony Richardson in the pocket. I know it's easier said than done. The kid does. He doesn't throw accurately at all. And you mentioned the key number. Michael and that is AM was completely depleted, but they still they let him run all big runs outside. And the kid is a freakish athlete. And if you let him get to the edge, he's going to take it to the house. But if you somehow can keep him in the pocket and spy him and make him throw it, then you got a chance to win this game if you're Carolina, I believe. Florida doesn't have much of a defense, but Carolina's offense has been sporadic. Um but it's a game that means a lot to both of those teams and both of those coaches. So while it's not going to get any national attention, I do think it's a pretty intriguing matchup. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the key for South Carolina as well. Is uh, you, you got to go down there. The Gamecocks' offense at this point is just kind of it's kind of like a a big play kind of deal. You know that they have they actually have players this year, um, and so if you can get the ball to Juice Wells and uh, I don't know if Marshawn Lloyd will be healthy and and all that, then I think that uh, you know I, I think Florida's definitely susceptible. Um, you know, obviously, I think anytime you go to Kyle Field. Uh, if you're the Gators, uh, you'll take a 17-point win in that environment, no matter how many players they have out. But, uh, you know, it, it's not like that was a signature win or, or anything for them. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's kind of an interesting matchup, to be honest, because uh, what unit that has struggled is going to continue to struggle? South Carolina's offense or what will be Florida's defense or – well, Florida's run game get the best of South Carolina's run game. I mean, there, there's a something. It's a, it's a something's got to give a weekend. I'm curious to see what Missouri's defense does against Tennessee. You know, Mike, they've been pretty consistent all year, pretty good. Um, I kind of think Tennessee hangs half a hundred, but uh, you know, yeah, uh, I do too. And then, man, okay, so Brian Kelly, uh, he took over my Brett Bielema Award for the week. Because I've been all high on Bielema, uh because of what he's done at Illinois. Well, he lost a, a eight loss Mel Tucker. You know, you got six loss Jimbo. You got eight loss Mel. These guys have big contracts. They're going to get nine million get, Mel Tucker. Yeah, the nine million dollar man there, ninety million. But uh, so so Brian Kelly ascends to that to my Bolimo Award, which is basically somebody that everybody thought was toast that overachieves, but uh, it'll in a, in a number of ways, but. Uh, they go to Arkansas, man. I mean, we just talked about Arkansas losing to Liberty. Can Sam Pittman rally the troops and get a big home win? LSU historically struggled in Fayetteville. So 11 a.m. three-point favorite. LSU, yeah. three-point favorite. Three right. point a trap game if there ever was one. That's yeah. a trap game if there Ooh. ever was one. 11 a.m. kick mm. in Fayetteville. Uh, cr- certainly crazier things uh, have happened on that one. Yeah, but that's that's the only ones that really stand out uh, game wise on on the SEC spotlight. Are we ready for a little under the radar? Yeah, yeah. Let's hit the under the radar. All right. Well, look, we already touched on it, so I'll, I'll just say this quickly. What's under the radar, which is maybe not so under the radar anymore, is for the first time in a while, people are criticizing the strategy of Nick Saban, and you know we 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 dove into that, but all of a sudden now, you know the way that is. Fans will. And I'm talking about Alabama fans. We'll start looking for things that he did wrong on this and that. And, um, you know, all of a sudden it's like you can question Nick Saban's moves on certain things. Um, that's that's, I guess, no longer under the radar. When I thought about it, it, it felt like it was under the radar. Now I, I look on the Internet and I'm like, oh, shoot, heck, it's it's definitely on the radar. It's all over the place. Uh, and then the other thing is I was just going to real quickly um Jeff Scott and uh, JC, you mentioned this last week about you kind of were hoping he'd get more of a chance um, at USF. They did lay him off. He's four and twenty-six. Uh, uh, under the radar is the fall off of that program. Jim Levitt took them to five straight games. Remember, at one point they had a top ten ranking. They were just cruising. They had uh, two nine-win seasons. You know, when he the, the program's only been around since '97. They started off as a one double A independent. So UCF had a huge um uh head start on them. 
you know, and UCF had the Dante Culpepper years at one double A and then UCF transitioned into division one and the I four corridor battle. And, but then Jim Levitt started turning that around. It was like USF. Well, hey, we're in Tampa. We're, we're near the beach. Why do you want to go to those boys over there and they're in Disney? Come on. We're, we're the cool upcoming program now. And Levitt had it going. I mean, they were really, they didn't just make those five straight bowl games. They won three of them. And they were they were defeating UCF. I mean, they their stock was a little higher than UCF at the time. And then the whole controversy with Levitt, which if they could do a, a a mulligan on that, I wonder. But he's gone after 2009, after an eight and five season, after another bowl game win. They hire Skip Holtz. I think we all like Skip. We all know Skip. Uh, Skip takes him to a bowl game in year one, and then they fire Skip after two down years. That seemed premature. It's like, who do you think you are? You're USF, you're firing Skip Holtz after three years in a bowl game in those three years. Then you hire Willie Taggart. He goes two and 10, four and eight. Uh, But then he has two back-to-back good years before they they, uh, hire him over there in Tallahassee uh, eventually. Uh, And and then Charlie Strong and Charlie had, he comes up right out of the gate, 10 win season in 2017 and then seven six four and eight and then charlie's gone and then they hired jeff scott my point is is that there was a ucf is about to go in the big 12 ucf has a huge game against tulane they could wind up winning the american again uh everybody knows ucf everybody is comfortable with ucf being a power five program at this point that's the trajectory that usf had and all of a sudden in a couple of moves and in a couple of things that happened that program has gone gone in the abyss and beyond, JC. Like I don't know who they're going to hire, and I don't know if it matters, but UCF just well, – they lapped USF. They completely lapped them, and that wasn't looking like, like it was going to be the case 12, 15 years ago. Well, look, man, uh, you know, you, you talk about volcano programs a lot, right? And, and I think if you're at a volcano program – it's not necessarily healthy to change coaches every three years, but you can get it back. I mean, Florida, I, just, I counted it up today. I think they've had seven coaches. Uh, how many coaches? Since, since Urban Meyer? Uh, you had Muschamp. You had McElwain. You had Mullen. And this is their fourth since Urban. Mm-hmm. Um, seventh since Spurrier. Uh, right. And then um, freaking um, – you know, uh, whoever they got there now, Billy Napier. Uh, here's what U- USF did, I think, is, is they, they've they sort of – and it happened to two guys we all know, Skip Holtz and Charlie Strong. Uh, they cut bait too, too quickly. Um, Willie Taggart built and built and built and ran a simple offense. His kids like to run, and they got it moving. He hightails it to Oregon. He, he didn't recruit all that well his last couple of years. Charlie Strong inherits a lot of his players. He goes 10 and 2. The next year they're at 7 and 6. The next year they didn't have any players. They dropped to 4 and 8. He's fired. Same thing happened to Skip. Skip started off pretty well there, blah, blah, blah. Well, the other guy kind of slacked up on recruiting the last couple of years because Levitt had some controversies or whatever, you know. Boom, you're fired. And you keep going through this vicious circle like that at a place like US, USF would. Meanwhile, your rival down I-4 is, 
you know, it's 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 high times with the Knights. <laughs> uh, they're going to the Big 12. They got their ticket, you know, uh, and you're just kind of stuck in mediocrity. Uh, so you fire Charlie Strong. Oh, the pandemic hits. Well, then then what? just a extremely chaotic year that first year, right? Jeff Scott had no chance. They showed some improvement last year. This year, you know, you had the big moment on the road in Gainesville. We almost knocked off the Gators, which, I mean, as bad as Florida's been at times or as mediocre, that, that may have been upset of the year considering what uh, USF had to work with. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's cr- it's crunch time, you know. Oh my God, you know you're, you're one in twenty six or whatever against Power Five or, or FBS teams. You know you maybe want to win one, you know. Uh, and they go to Temple and look, they got boat raced by Temple, and they were a three point road favorite, Mike. So you had to pull the plug. Do I think it's fair? Probably not, but but I just don't think anywhere with any sort of standards at the same time. Like I personally thought he deserved another shot just because of the the pandemic year, and and they fired Charlie Strong after three years, and so you know you want some stability. But I don't think really anywhere with any sort of standard or aspiration you can have a one in twenty six record against Power Five opponents and keep your job. I just yeah, it's, it, it's just it. I mean, you know. Because, you know, it's just that there, there's no progress being made where it matters. No, no, no doubt about it. All right. Real quick. Uh, I, I, you know, I like to do deep dives, put on the uh, scuba gear, get on the oxygen tank. I just figured every time I watch uh, Michigan and our uh, number one Wolverine fan who listens every week, Justin will appreciate this. I, I know he's not under the radar for those in that part of the country, but in the Southeast, you know, we all tend to be a little bit parochial at times in our in our viewing. Like we know who the quarterbacks are, and we know about Harbaugh. And we know Michigan is good again this year. And by the way, the playoff tonight is going to be. Let me let me save you the um, the suspense. It's it's going to be Georgia one, Ohio State two, Michigan three, and TCU four. Okay, now we can move on from that subject line. Um, but Blake Cor- Every time I watch Michigan, I see this little running back, and I stress little. Because he looks so tiny and he's just dominating games. Blake Corum now is a legitimate Heisman candidate. So I wondered, like, okay, what 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 was the story behind Blake Corum? I've seen this dude, number two in the maze and blue, just dominating games. Uh what what's the deal? Well, he's five eight. That's what they list him at, two ten. He went to high school in Baltimore, Maryland, St. Francis Academy. Mm-hmm. And he was a USA Today All American. Uh, he actually grew up, up in Marshall, Virginia, before playing ball uh, there uh, in uh, in uh, Baltimore. His freshman year didn't do much. You know, again, it was COVID year. He played in, in six games. He had 26 carries, blah, 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 blah. But then the people were like, oh, you just watch. He's going to have a breakout year in 21, and he did. He ran for 952 yards. Through eight games, he's already over 1,000 yards this year, and he's averaging over six yards a carry. Um, he has been special. He had 243 against Maryland. That's the most since Denard Robinson ran for 258 against 2010. There's a name for you. Um, we, we, we just don't look at running backs the same way when it comes to the Heisman trophy award. And I'm a Heisman voter. And I try to stop myself from just falling in love with nothing but quarterbacks. Uh, I, I am in love with Blake Corum in terms of his ability. 
And if Michigan beats Ohio State and that kid puts up an A-plus performance, he's definitely going to get some votes. So, mm. uh, Blake Corum, you are no longer under the radar on J.C. and Morgan. You have just, you have gotten your proper spotlight. And St. Francis, he, he, I know a little something about their coaching staff. I figured you would. That. Yeah, they uh, – they take a, and I don't know what Blake's Blake's specific story was, but they do so much for like kids that have a chance from inner city Baltimore and DC and surrounding areas. Um, you know, it's it, it's not it's not a fake school like Sycamore State or whatever the heck that was, Bishop Sycamore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, these these dudes are all legit guys. It's affiliated with St. Francis Church, whatever they get. They get their academics right, and they have about eight to ten uh, Division One guys a year at, at St. Francis. Wow. Um, it's just a, a lot of good stories. Uh, and like I said, I don't know what Blake Corum's story is, but man, oh man, you know what a what a running back. And, and I'm gonna tell you this: Michigan is better this year than last year. And I, and I want to I want to go I want to throw this in there. I believe that Josh Gaddis is overrated. Because okay. everybody talked about Josh Gaddis. Oh, Josh Gaddis, my God. It's going to transform Michigan football. I was like, well, he's only at Bama a year, and you're not really clear who was calling plays. He was coordinator and title. You know, well, now he's at Miami. You see what's happened to that offense. But I'll say this. Uh, Michigan is better on offense this year. That They look more like a dominant Michigan team then somebody may be trying to do a little something that, that they're not accustomed to doing. Now, a lot of that's the quarterback and another year of experience and all that. But Harbaugh looks more comfortable this year with this team than last year's team, which, you know, beat Ohio State and went to the playoffs. So uh, that's not – I expected Michigan maybe to take a step back. I thought with their schedule they could maybe be undefeated going into Columbus. But but now, man, I, I don't know that Michigan couldn't go in there and beat them or at least give them a game. I think it's going to be one hell of a game. That 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 uh, I I know I bore some people with this stuff, but um, TV rating wise, mm. that could be a ridiculous regular season number. I mean, it could be close to twenty million, which is unheard of in a regular season <laughs> college football game. But it's it's possible if they if they if they collash, collash that's collide and collash, <laughs> collide and collash. They collash. Morganese. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inventing my own language, my own lexicon here. If they clash undefeated, look out. I don't care what time the game is. And, of course, Fox would have it, and I'm guessing they would do their normal noon thing. It'll draw a, a ridiculous, ridiculous number. All right, why don't we do pick three, Mike, because we're, we're way over time here. Pick three? Okay. All right. Let's, yeah. uh, let's get into it here. Um, uh, let's throw Bama Ole Miss at you tied on the road again uh, this week. Again, 12-point favorites. So what do you got? Tide coming off a huge loss. 12-point favorites against Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. I'll take the 12. I'll take it too. I'm, I'm going, uh, going uh, Ole Miss plus 12. Because I thought the third – I, I got I got LSU plus 13 and a half last week. I was like – and I thought Bama would win, but I thought LSU would definitely cover. So uh, I think that's too many points. All right. Uh, let's see. A huge game in the Big 12. TCU on the road against Texas. The Horns, not the Horn Frogs, the Horns, seven-point home favorites. Yeah, and this is why if, if you're all bent out of shape tonight when you see TCU on the four line, which I imagine they will be, don't get too worked 
I'm not because I think they're going to lose either this game or the following week at Baylor. Um, I think they, I, I like what Texas is starting to show. I don't like that high a number. Makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, seven, really? Vegas yeah, has it yeah, at seven. I know. I did it. Come day. on. That's why I put it in here. I'm like, hmm, that's a, that's a juicy, that's, intriguing yeah. number. Shoot. I'll take the points again. I, I like Texas to win, but I will take the points. I think TCU will win by a couple of touchdowns. Ooh, okay. Now, and you can write, you. you can mark me down as wrong if, if, TCU merely covers. If they don't win, you can mark me down as wrong because uh and I'm I'm sorry to our Texas guy out there that listens to every episode. Uh I, I hurt for you, but I've seen this movie before many times with Texas. Oh, we're finally back. And then some team like TCU comes in and just punches them in the face, and everybody's like, Well, what the heck happened? And oh my god, we're you know, we're bad again, kind of like in Waterboys. Like, oh, we, we're not good anymore. You know, I can't really say what he said, but uh, that's my thing with uh, with Texas. All right. Well, uh, since we only have one more left, I'll, I'll let you guys pick. I'll let you right. choose which one you want to do of these three matchups that I had left. Louisville Clemson, Clemson a seven-point favorite. UCF at Tulane, the Green Wave a two-point home favorite. Or North Carolina at Wake, where the Deeks are a three-and-a-half point home favorite gentlemen uh, which game would you like to choose i am going to i i'm going to um i'm going to jump the tar heat no i'm not you know what i'm going to do UCF night 94 don't kill me i'm taking two lane minus the two at home we don't talk enough about the green wave what they've done this year. It's not in the bounce house. I'll take Tulane. All right. JC. Oh, I think I'm going uh, Tulane as well. I'm going Tulane as well. Right, look, look, wait a minute. let me pick something different. How about uh, North Carolina will beat Wake Forest and cover? That was my next one. I was, I was tempted. I just I, can't find it within me to bet against Hartman and yeah, I, awesome. I think I think so many people have like pe- like a little bit of uh, uh, you know opening weeks weeks of the season st- stress about North Carolina because they almost went down to App State in that thriller. They didn't look very good against FAMU in the opener. They uh, only beat Georgia State by seven. You know they've had a lot of close calls, but man, Drake May special player, and uh, you mentioned their defense getting better under Chiswick. They have a lot of young players still that they've recruited on that side of the ball that will continue to get better and better. So, you know, I I, I think the days of teams, even if you're North Carolina, which they normally do this, they take Wake Forest lightly. I think that's over. So, all right, well, that that is, yeah, pick three. There you have it. I like right. it. I like it. And I like uh, I like this podcast. It's brought to you again by Blue Delta Jeans. BlueDeltaJeans.com for the very best in custom jeans. Check them out. You don't even have to go into their showroom anymore. You can just go ahead and get yourself fit online, have them mailed to you. It is the best, most comfortable pants you will ever, ever wear. It's BlueDeltaJeans.com. Gentlemen, enjoyed it. Uh, uh, I'll uh, give my best to the folks in Starkville for you. Michael, you keep rocking the blue bird. JC, stay warm in uh, the Windy City. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned those Blue Delta jeans, just uh, fired up looking at some of that product. Uh, boy, what a great bunch of quality stuff that they have right there for our 
our very nice sponsor. Yes, and our our, our great listeners uh, can certainly take advantage of that as as well. Number 178 is in the books. We'll see you next week, folks, for Michael Haney, for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. See you next week on J.C. and Morgan.